here at Sun Valley Church, and welcome to the Voice of the Valley. I am your host today, Pastor Rick Whitmer. That's weird. It is a little weird. And yet across the table from me, I have your typical host, Pastor Jeremy Pinch, who is on the hot seat. I Literally, I heated that seat up for you. No. <laughs> with, a, with a special heater called Warm Buns. <laughs> That's weird. This is not going well, is it? <laughs> They're never going to let me host again. Yeah, well, it's going to be another year. Yes, it's you've you've reached your limit. Now for my the seat year. is warm from embarrassment. <laughs> Dude, yeah. happy New Year! Happy New Year, man! Yeah, it's good to see you. Yeah, how's your uh, how's your year going? Uh, it's going. Dad joke. It's going. Yeah. It. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're alive. My kids are alive. Are they? Here's the bigger question. Are they healthy? They're getting healthy. I mean, I never really thought your kids were in danger of not being alive. So that's why the sick question is the bigger one for me. Yeah. No, they're getting healthy, I believe. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I haven't seen them in days sleeping at the office, so I don't get sick. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) they're, uh, they're doing well. Yes. My wife, on the other hand, is sick. Oh man, I'm sorry. But we'll we'll make it through, I think. I think. Yeah. Rough start to the year. Well, yeah. And I was thinking about it on the way to work today. There's a lot of uh, people out there who have a lot of big, bigger problems than we do. Um there, so, it's been a pretty rough go for a number of people in our church. Yeah. Which I think Sunday sermon yeah was uh, was poignant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Crook in the lot. Yeah. You guys are reading that in your pipes club, aren't you? Well, I'm I'm not reading it, but there are a group of men who are oh, okay. are reading it. But um Yeah. It's funny because we had we had we had our sound issues on Sunday. Um we we lost our main speakers in the sanctuary and then we lost our our speakers in the commons. Which and, I discovered on on uh New Year's Eve, yeah. When I was trying to turn on a microphone, right. Thankfully, well, the music worked. That was well. You're the reason why it doesn't work. So, um, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Don't bill it to me. <laughs> no, is so Sunday morning. You know, we ran through practice as musicians, and you know, we could hear everything in our monitors and in our ears, and everything was working fine. And then Rick Erickson walked in and and said, "Well, there's nothing coming out of the main speakers. We can't hear anything." in the sanctuary and that's when we found out that the speakers oh. went out and then in the comments as well we we lost sound over there and uh so we were scrambling you know five minutes before the service that's i had no clue i mean i haven't touched base with you about yeah. this is the first time hearing about how frantic that, yeah. was, that was yeah we were we were scrambling trying to get some sort of sound to come out of the sound system and and josh phillips came up to me and was you know hey you know trying to help me figure out things and you know, I was in full-on panic mode. Yeah. You know, trying to get things squared away. Well, then John preaches that sermon, and then Josh, bless his wonderful heart, says after the sermon, "Well, God uses sound systems, you know, as a crook in your lot sometimes too." And it was, it was a pretty uh, on-point sermon, what I an guess. Elder for... thing to say. <laughs> yeah. So no, it was. Uh, yeah, Sunday was Sunday was pretty poignant, oh, man. Um, and especially with with a lot of what people are going through right now. Yeah, uh, in our church, um, no shortage of things to pray for. Yeah, certainly, certainly. So. And there have been these seasons of that for sure. Yeah, you know, and it, and it feels like we're in one. Yeah, just a down season. Not like, I mean, it's just a season of trials for for several people in our church. And when you're when you're a church. Um, that affects the body, you yeah. know, at least the body that's connected yeah. to one another. I mean, there's people who, who will come and they just they come on Sunday mornings. They don't know the whys or what's going on. Right. But when you're a member of a church and you're sharing one another's burdens, yeah. um, it really does. It's a, it's tough. And then we still have the, we still have December's temperatures and clouds, exactly. but no Christmas lights. Exactly. And so you're just like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. All the happy trees went away. Yes. They died. They did. Which is a metaphor for January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it that's that's another thing is it felt like January came uh early this year. 
you know, I'm so used to, to snow not arriving <laughs> right. until like late January, February. Um, so it was weird having the snow during Christmas time. The bulk and, of it. And I kept telling Katie, like throughout the Christmas season, I just feel like I'm the Grinch right now. I just, <laughs> I want Christmas. It was the weirdest thing. Is like, I just want Christmas to be over. I, I'm so tired of it. Um, but I think I, that had a lot to do with just our family. You guys sick. had a uh, tough December, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was a long one, but we're, uh, we're coming out of it. So yeah. Back to school yet or not, or another week still next week, I think. <clears throat> okay. I, I started up, week. um, I had to start the kids on science, you know, cause I do science with them. And so I started up on uh, Monday night, just the only subject that they, the rest of them started up. The rest of the subjects were yesterday. Um, which yesterday was Wednesday. Today's Thursday, mm-hmm. and that's not a typical day to be dropping a podcast. No, it's not. Um, no, it's not. I'll get into that in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. But uh, so I, was, I had an experiment to do with my older <clears throat> girls. We were gonna um, we were gonna look at because we're studying the periodic table of the elements, and we're looking at phosphorus and what you know and conductive electricity. You know, yeah. electricity conducers. And um, so I took a nine volt battery um, and a piece of pencil lead that was just the right length to sit on both of the terminals of uh-huh. the battery, and then a match. And I'm supposed to, you know, I, I wanted to do this experiment for them, but have them record their observations and, and think about why it happened. Um, so I put the, the pencil lead onto the terminals, and as soon as it touched it, it bounced it like shook and bounced off and so it took me a little bit but i finally put the pencil lead onto the terminals and immediately smoke and right at my fingertips and yeah. it burned me and i was like whoa yeah. it was like instantaneous yeah. i didn't know that graphite um which is a form of carbon was that conducive yeah so i got my you know swiss army knife pliers out and gently set that thing on there the best i could and touched a phosphorus you know, tipped match to it, and that thing went up in flames like right then. Really? It was, it was intense. That's so it was awesome. Kind of a cool experiment. So your house is still standing, or still standing? Okay. Uh, which how's your house doing? Yeah. You've had more fire troubles I've, than yeah, me. Yeah, forgot lately. about that. Yeah, yeah. Christmas Eve, um, <laughs> <laughs> Christmas Eve, we had uh, our service, and my family was there, and. Um, after the Christmas Eve service, my wife and kids went home as I was kind of resetting the, the stage for Sunday morning. And I got a call from my wife um, because she opened the door and smoke was billowing out of out of our home. And obviously she thought the house was on fire. And so... Reasonable conclusion. Reasonable conclusion. <laughs> so I run home and uh, what had happened is, is we have a, a fire... Uh, burning uh, wood burning stove um, in in our main family room and we had a fire in there the night before uh, it's not a fireplace it's a wood burning stove it's a wood burning stove yeah, okay um, and with it within it's it's built into a, a fireplace oh, but, okay yeah um, what had happened was the wood didn't completely burn out and so over the 24 hours as it became cooler that cold air was pushing all the smoke into the house and our house was full of smoke reverse chimney reverse chimney yeah yeah so it was uh it was a stressful night for her and for me i guess but oh man uh we got it but at least you didn't have to be up early for church the next morning this is true (laughs) oh no never mind this is true christmas day was on a sunday yeah so well God is God is kind. You still have a house. We still have a house, and and this is yeah. and we still have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the background for this podcast was uh, we were we were we weren't we were going to just end up kicking off the New Year uh, podcast next week, <clears throat> but um, you taught last night. I did in student ministries, and I have a student in student ministries yes. who lives in my house. Um, you do, and she brought home. Her notes, which she always does. She keeps she keeps all your notes, by the way, in a binder. Wow. Three hole punch. She takes okay. really good notes and she takes it seriously. Okay. And yeah. I was thinking about your teaching last night and the impact that like I looked at that those notes last night um, after every um, all the kids were in bed, um, and it was pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, 
really, really good. And I've, you know, I walk around the church and I'll um, walk up to the student center and look around um, from time to time. And I see, I see the notes of your teachings. And I don't tell you this um, typically because I don't want to encourage you, but uh, (laughs) you do do a really good job. Thank you. I mean that. And um, I mean, how long have you been pastoring student ministries? How long have I? Five years? Four Has years? Been? Five years? At oh. least five, right? When did you when did you stop? Well, I was doing it seven years and I've been here twelve and a half. Yeah, about five and a half years, I think you yeah. you've been doing it. Yeah. And that's a pretty decent run. Um most pastors on average um either leave their church or the ministry altogether after like three years. Yeah. And you've been sticking in this ministry um for five. And I've you've been done here it. serving pastorally at Sun Valley for longer than that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I have a, I have a unique perspective, I think, because I've, I've sure. been in your shoes and, and now being the dad of a student and getting a perspective on student ministries from both ends. Um, it's just been a rich blessing to me mm-hmm. to see what God is doing through your faithfulness with the word, yeah. which is an evidence of his grace in your life um, and to his church. And also of your, of your faithfulness. And, and I think that's an outflow of your theology because yeah. um, I know your theology of the word and it really comes through. Yeah. And so this morning um, before I, I came to the office, I just got this idea that maybe it would be beneficial for us to have a conversation about the things that um, at this point in your ministry with our students, um, you are, I guess, the the most pressing burdens on your heart pastorally. Like, let's let's kind of put you on the beach with the Ephesian elders, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and you're not anticipating seeing the students again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, what would you be saying as your farewell charge hmm. to? the students that you're caring for right now. And mm. um, you could even, I, I think it would be beneficial to open that up about the parents too, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're not just a student pastor, you're pastor for their parents and for our church. So I just want to kick off the conversation there. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. You mentioned the Paul with the Ephesian elders, because that was going to be the passage that I was originally going to preach a few months ago was, that's was right. Paul, Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. Um, yeah, yeah. As pastors, I think we have burdens for our people. I don't think we would be good pastors if we didn't have burdens. Um, so you know, as we've as we've discussed, you and I and and, and Pastor John, um, just about the larger church as a whole. You know, I think our biggest burden is is um, we don't want our church to become the Ephesian Church of Revelation two. I think is is one of our biggest burdens, um, and basically what what that that passage is saying, and I can read it here. It says, "I know the works, your toil." This is Christ speaking to to the church in Ephesus. It says, "I know your I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary." But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And so just just thinking about that text, and, and it continues on there, but thinking about that text, I think that's one of our biggest fears is, is we know how to labor, I think, as a church. I think we know how to labor. We know how to, how to toil. I, I think we know truths, doctrines. Um, I think we know a lot about scripture, um, but I think our, our biggest fear is, is forgetting why we know those things and, and, um, um, forgetting the love that we had at first, which Mm. is, it was just Christ. Like it's missing the trees among the forest kind of thing. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and so, so that's one of my biggest fears. I think as a church, as a whole, uh, is, is, is forgetting Christ, Forgetting Christ among the toil, among the labor, among the like work. At the, like at the mind level or the heart level? The heart level, the heart yeah. Level. Okay. yeah. 
Yeah. Because I, I think this is all this is all mind stuff that Paul's or uh, Christ is talking about here. Is is you, you know these things, you've done these things, um, but and you're even zealous it, for truth. Yeah, you're zealous for these things at the mind level. Yeah, but where's your heart in all of it, kind of thing. Sure. Um, and so and so that's I think that's a that's a larger burden, but I think specifically for the students. Uh, and this is last night. Last night was kind of one of my more, not that my teachings aren't serious, um, but last night was more, um, more serious. It felt more You're, heavy. I, I mean, knowing what you teach about most weeks and then looking at your notes last night, I, I would say that's true. Yeah. I would say this is probably, the um, aside from the expository teaching that you guys do on Sundays, um, which is just straight putting the Word of God before people as far as your topical teachings this is probably the heaviest one i've ever seen yeah yeah and this this is a this is a burden of mine um so last year i kind of had a theme or a desire for the students and that was to be disciplined to be spiritually disciplined um and you know as i was thinking about this upcoming year and and really as a whole for the students as they as they leave student ministries they leave their homes and go on and do their own things um the burden is, is have I made Christ my own? Um, a lot of the, the students in student ministries, uh, have grown up in the church. Uh, so, so, you know, they've grown up in Sun Valley, yeah. a majority All, of them. Most of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so they've, they've grown up in a church that has, has taught them well from a very young age. Uh, a lot of the parents, uh, of the students in, in student ministries, uh, teach their children well. Uh, and so there's obviously there's massive blessings of growing up in a Christian home, and you know that would be my desire for any kid is to to grow up in a Christian. Yeah, home. you would handpick that scenario for everybody, right? If you could, right? Exactly. A church that takes the gospel seriously, that's constantly every week putting Christ before um, the congregation, and children never knowing anything different. Yep. Ideal scenario. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's there's massive blessings to growing up in a Christian home. Uh, but there's also dangers of growing up in a Christian home, yeah. And that's and that's really where I honed in last night was the dangers of growing up in a Christian home because because of, you have heard this your whole life, because you've heard the truths of the gospel your whole life. It's very easy to become indifferent to those things. And I use this story of of this lady that Katie used to work with. Um, you know, godly lady, and and she grew up in Hawaii. She she grew up in Hawaii. Uh, I think it was Maui or something like that. Um, and her dad had a very successful helicopter business in Hawaii. So not only did she grow up in Hawaii, but she grew up wealthy in Hawaii. And Katie and her would talk about you know visiting, going back and visiting her parents, and you know would she ever move back to Hawaii? And she said, "There's no way that I would ever move back there." And that's because that's all she ever knew. You know, she grew up on that island. She knew the culture. She knew the people. She knew the ins and outs of the island. That's all she ever knew. And she got to the point where she didn't want to be there anymore. And and I was, I was thinking about that story specifically and, and how it pertains to our students. And, and they don't realize that they're living in paradise. You know, they have yeah. these, these things of paradise at their disposal. And... They've grown up hearing it. It's taught to them on a regular basis. They hear it at home. They hear it on Sunday mornings. They hear it on Wednesday nights. Um, to the point where um, have have they really embraced these things? Or are they just kind of going along with emotions, saying, well, yeah, I'm a Christian just because I associate with my parents' religion or I associate with you know, my friends or this and the next thing. And so, so my burden, my burden for the students, um, is really not questioning their faith. Right. And that's not what I was trying to get at last night. And I told them that was, was, okay. This is like, don't, I hope that you're not going, well, am I actually safe? That's not what I was trying to do. What I was trying to do is to remove any false, false assurances they may have had. Sure. And revealing the needs that they do, do have. So, um, you were really, I think, pressing in on them 
as I'm hearing you explain it, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, you weren't trying to pull off uh, Paul Washer's shocking, <laughs> shocking youth message part two, where everybody, you know, starts by cheering you. And then you go on talking about you yeah. going to hell, <laughs> yeah. you know, it wasn't that type of a deal, but because right. <laughs> right. I, and, and I think that's such a, that, that approach, the, the one that you weren't taking is actually, um, <clears throat> can be passed and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about Paul Washer anymore um, but within a church to assume that um, I mean we, we we embrace the doctrine of radical depravity because it's straight out of scripture so I've never heard any reformed person um, <laughs> sit here and say that children of believing parents um, are saved because they're children of believing parents right. that's not a thing that's right. not a position um, and yet there is, um, I think, sometimes uh, can be a tendency to so focus on the depravity that kids are just basically told you have no part of the blessings of Christ until right. you really come to grips with your sins, which is true in the sense of salvation, right? Yeah. But to ca- but children can grow up in the church and then be fall victim of what I've heard referred to as the vipers and diapers fallacy, which is that, you know, you're just a, well, your own son, right? It was called Dirty Rotten Charlie. Yeah. The very first Sunday he yeah. existed. And I'm not accusing John of this fallacy. I'm saying that can leave a mark on some kids to where the, the, the kids who should not, who should be the last to question their salvation yeah. because they have tender consciences. They actually are seeking Christ, yeah. but they're, which for someone who is seeking Christ, they are going to be the ones to take that exhortation to heart. Sure. Right. Because sure. they yep. want to follow Christ. I went through a couple of years of terrible doubt of my salvation in um, high school. And, and that leaves a mark. Yeah. And it wasn't because anybody was questioning my salvation, but I just, I fell prey to that because I, I had a tender conscience about this and a misunderstanding of salvation yeah. uh, about how it works in God's sovereign grace. So you're pressing on them, not question that you know Christ, but do you love him according to his right. loveliness? Right. Do you love him according to his loveliness? Yeah. 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 And if you embrace Christ, what does that, what does that look like? Like if if you are a follower of Christ, praise God, praise God. But what does that look like? How do you how do you now cultivate that that relationship with Christ? And I think I think this is another um, unfortunate thing that happens within the church uh, is is we kind of view kids. Um, how can I put this? So you know, as parents, we provide for our student or provide for our kids for basically everything, their food, their clothing, their home, you know, X, Y, and Z, we provide for them. Um, and I think we can unintentionally do that in their spiritual walk too, uh, yeah. where we just, we kind of just provide for them without ever really expecting them to, to go about their work as Christians. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I don't expect Charlie to, to do certain things around this home. I don't expect him to go and provide, you know, the food for my house. Um, because that's not his job. That's my job yeah. as an adult. Um, but there's no stipulation within Scripture that I'm aware of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any stipulation in Scripture where where we view kids and we just go, well, they're just kids, so, you know, that's okay. You know, yeah. the same spirit... Oh, I wholeheartedly agree with you. <laughs> you know, like the same spirit that dwells within you, Rick, and dwells within me is the same spirit that dwells within... You know these kids that are twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. You know however old they are. Yeah. And there's there's actually expectations for for those of us who are in Christ to to you know be loving, kind, gracious, merciful, tender-hearted, uh, self-control. Like all these these expectations that are expected of you and of somebody who's seventy-five um, is is also expected of the kid who claims Christ as he's fifteen years old or seven. Or seven. Yeah, oh man, that's that is true, and that's actually one of my pastoral burdens. Is I've in, so I counsel, right? I counsel a lot, um, and over the years, probably the number one thing that has stood out to me um, with people I counsel who have life dominating or life impacting problems that are not the kind of suffering that you know, like chronic illness and stuff like that. Um, so many of life's problems among believers 
will stem from the fact that they have little to no spiritual disciplines, mm. no functional relationship with Jesus. They trust in him. I believe they know him until proven otherwise. Um, but they are not ingesting the word of God. Mm-hmm. They're not meditating on it day and night. They are not pursuing a meaningful relationship with Christ in prayer. And so I thought, well, what, what is, what is that mean for our children, right? If I'm spending a bulk of my time helping adults who have been in the faith for years um, have normal spiritual disciplines, who's teaching our children to do it? Yeah. And so a few years ago, I think it was during COVID, um, I just wrote a one-page front and back half sheet um, how to have uh, worship time with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an explanation of the dev- devotional Christian life at a, at a seven-year-old level. Yeah. And then on the back is literally a guide that a kid can put in the front of their Bible and take it out. And uh, I laminated it for my kids and gave one to each of them. Um, and just basically walks through the same way that we teach adults to pray, but at a kid's level with some practical suggestions for yeah for their age because there is no kid's Bible. Like we've got children's Bibles, right? right? But we don't have actual Bible for kids. Like God inspired one for those who are under 15. The, 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 you know, elementary schoolers at Ephesus are given exhortations right along with their parents. Right. Man. And so that taken into a student ministries level is one of the things I love most about watching you minister is because you're going to have a student ministries that is different from the standard going rate American youth ministry because the American youth ministry by and large, and I know because I've been in several of them um, involved with them is geared toward this idea that there is such a thing as um, a, a, a life stage called adolescence mm-hmm. that essentially just coast and get to adulthood till you stop being right. crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's the thing is, is, and, and, and we, again, I think we just unintentionally go, well, they're kids. Like that's expected of them. And this isn't a legalism thing. Like no. we're, we're not, we're not being legalistic and saying, well, we haven't read your Bible today and you haven't prayed and this and the next thing. So you don't love Jesus. Well, that's not it at all. But if there's a consistent pattern where we say we love Jesus, you know, we love Jesus and we want to pursue Jesus, um, but I I don't want to pursue Jesus really by reading my Bible or prayer or being in fellowship of the church. Like, then it's like, okay, have we really made have you really made this relationship with Christ my own? And if so, then you are going to cultivate that one way or the other. Um. And that's difficult. That's difficult for, for teenagers. It's the, hard. The, I mean, the marriage analogy. Yeah. Right? I'm sorry. I, you were no, go ahead. For teenagers. Go ahead. Um, think about your marriage, right? Or any of our marriages. Um, there's a point at which the butterflies in the stomach stop, you know, exactly. being there when, when they walk into a room. Exactly. Um, and that doesn't at all, but that doesn't at all mean that passion should go away. Yeah. That zealous love should go away. Um, fervency but it's going to look different but the moment we think that that's just a thing of the past and we just grow comfortable to the extent that we really are apathetic toward one another so many marriages have died on that altar Mm -hmm. of uh misperception Mm -hmm. and i and i think um when we have a book like the song of solomon which whatever whatever else you do with that book it's about love and sex Mm -hmm. um you go, okay, well, God wrote that. Um, and I think he's communicating something there. Um, an expectation, at least on the marital level, that that passionate pursuit of one another never should go away. Right. It should deepen. But that's going to take work. And so, you know, and then that, by analogy, is ultimately a pointer to Jesus and his church. Mm-hmm. And the church, when she gets apathetic and stops pursuing passionate love for Christ, that's a problem. That's what Jesus is calling out here in Ephesians. And it goes back to that same dynamic in Song of Solomon. Yeah. Um, and at a, so in marriage, like, would you say, well, oh, you know, I would tell a husband or a wife who just are, have grown into this rut, you know what? It's okay if you just never really talk to each other. Um, no, I Like, wouldn't. you're obviously still married. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But what cultivates 
uh, a deepening love when it has waxed and waned. Mm -hmm. Doing the things you did Mm -hmm. at first. Mm -hmm. Dating each other. Mm -hmm. Asking questions about one another. Mm -hmm. um, Meditating on what is unique about that person that you've married. And training your affections. Yeah. And and there's a reason marriage is that potent picture of Jesus and his, his bride, the church is because those dynamics, um, they are, they work throughout life and they point us to those greater realities. Yeah. Well, and you hear that so many times in marriages, well, we just fell out of love. Well, it's, I don't think you necessarily fell out of love. You just didn't try to love. Like you didn't, you didn't work for that. Yeah. Um, you gave it up. You gave it up. You didn't, it didn't happen to you. You're not a passive party in this. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and that's and and so much of the culture is what you know perpetuates that that idea is like, well, I don't have those warm fuzzy feelings about my spouse anymore. Right. That's like, well, work, go to work, like, <laughs> right? Go to work in your marriage, um, and that's and that's the same thing. Same thing with our relationship with Christ. Like most days, Rick, you and I don't wake up and go, man, I am just on fire right now. Like I. I just cannot wait to get with Jesus. It it takes it takes work. You know, it takes work getting to to know Jesus and studying his scriptures. And and he he and he provides those feelings, right? He provides those those uh encouragements and and strengthens you, but most days I don't think we're waking up and just those warm fuzzy feelings are just there. Right. You know. <laughs> sure. I love them when they come, but right. those happen from, you know, and I'm like, oh, what a blessing! And then I, I when you feel it, take advantage of it mm-hmm. and dig deeper. Mm-hmm. But when you don't, show up and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. John Piper has a book called "When I Don't Desire God." You know, he's famous for his book "Desiring God," but he wrote one for the folks who are like, yeah, well, that's nice. Mm-hmm. And it's called "When I Don't Desire God." And in there, he gives the analogy of a waterfall. If you're on a if you're on a, a trail, and and I don't know, it's been years since I've I've read this, but um, the way that I'll explain it to someone maybe in counseling is if you're, if you're on a trail and you come up to a fork in the road and you know what you want, you're parched, you want water (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you, and you don't see it anywhere in sight. And, but you know, because you looked at the map that somewhere along the trail to the right, um, there's a waterfall. You don't know when you don't know where, but you know, it's there, but you're not sure that there is one to the left. Which trail do you choose? The right. You could do what you want, which is sit down and and just you eventually yeah. die there. Yeah. And someone's like, "Oh, look at this skeleton in the fork of the road. I wonder what happened." But what you should do is go to the right, right, and keep walking. Yeah. And sometimes love for Jesus looks like a like plotting. P l o d d i n g. Not plotting like I'm yeah. plotting revenge. But <laughs> so so if I'm a student and I ask you. Pastor Jeremy, um, how do I, so if I'm supposed to read my Bible and pray and serve and like, and obey my parents, but it, I feel like I'm just checking boxes off a list. How can I, how can I do those things to the glory of God and not just be checking boxes Hmm. off a list? Yeah, that's, that's the tough part, right? That's the tough part is, is we can even do that now. You know, oh, yeah. we, we can check those boxes as adults. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's where we, we come before the Lord. Um, and we really plead with him. I think, I think that's one thing that we don't do well, or at least I don't do well, if I can be honest, is, is pleading with the Lord going, Lord, I know you, you call us to do these things. All these things are good things that you've called us to do. And sometimes we just do them. You know, sometimes yeah. we just get up and we do them. Um, but I think I think when we get to that point where we recognize I'm just doing this to check the boxes, I think that's where we go, Lord, I know that you call me to do these things. I know you call me to be in your word. I know you call me to be serving, to be um, obeying my parents. And I'm, I'm trying to do these things, but I've realized that I'm doing these solely so that I can just te- check the boxes and to, you know, try to earn your favor. I think that's where we plead with the Lord. That's where we repent and go, I've been doing this to try to earn your favor, and I can't earn your favor. Um, it's only by the merits of Christ that I can actually 
do these things. Um, so I think I think that's where we really have to go in that in, in in everything, right? We have to do that in everything. Is is when we recognize that we're just doing this to check the boxes and doing this more out of a legalistic form. That's where we plead with the Lord and repent and seek Him um, to help us and guide us in that in that walk with Him um, to do it out of joy. Hmm. We ask him for the joy. The joy, yeah. What is joy? I, there's a category of things in Scripture that it falls into. It's, I think it has something to do with fruit. Yeah, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, yeah. which means that the Spirit, having the indwelling Spirit, the Spirit will produce it. But that doesn't mean we're passive. Right. No, it's like, go do the thing. Right. Go do the thing that the Spirit uses as a, as a vehicle through which to produce the fruit he does. Yeah. So the last thing you want to do is just stop it, yeah. right? It's like, what's the alternative? It's like, okay, well, he commands me to do this. Well, what if I don't have a joyful heart? Okay, well, I guess give yourself over to sin by not doing what he commands. Right. No, right. don't do that. Yeah. You better not. You better not. You better not. You better not, yeah. <laughs> the theologian Jack Black. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in his systematic theology, Orange County. <laughs> I'll have to look up that uh, one. You yeah. gotta edit that out. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I, Let's, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Nope. Go ahead. No, I'm about to change directions just briefly. So. Well, so I read this in, in um, a devotional for Christmas, and I shared it with the staff. Um, and I and I brought it up last night with the students, but but Matthew chapter two, and the 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 magi showing up to mm. to Herod, and they say, "Hey, where's the king of the Jews?" And, and Herod's, you know, obviously freaking out, like the king of the Jews is here. And so he gathers, <laughs> he gathers all the chief priests and the scribes together. And he, he asks them, he says, where is the king of the Jews to be born? And these guys know their scriptures. They know their Old Testament. They know exactly where the king's going to be born. They know that's going to be Bethlehem. They know it's from Micah. Like they, they, they know. You're just like, maybe I'll buy a home there. Yeah. Like just I'm going to set up there shop. for it. Yeah. They they know when this guy is showing up, and what's interesting is is these astrologers, these these guys from the east, who have a bunch of pagans, bunch seriously, a bunch of pagans who have no association with the king of Israel, show up looking for this guy, and then when they find out that it's going to be Bethlehem that he's going to be born in, it's those guys that go to Bethlehem to seek out Jesus. Which was just a stone's throw away from Jerusalem, yep. where the top scholars of the of the Bible yep. lived. Yep, and it wasn't the chief priests and scribes who don't who go to Bethlehem. Like, and that's and that's what's what's mind boggling to me is 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 we can get to the point where we know our scriptures, we know the facts about the scriptures, but we don't go to Jesus, and that's what happened in Bethlehem. These guys, they know their scriptures. They know that the king of Israel, this long-awaited Messiah that they've been waiting for for centuries and centuries, and they don't go to Bethlehem. Um, and that's just indifference. That's indifference to to the word of God. And that's that's a scary that's place. A, that's a judgment. Yeah. Um, that is a scary thing. That's a scary thought, especially when you put it like that. Yeah. Because we can fall prey to the very same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's not a threat to our salvation if we are in Christ. Right, but it will um, seriously hamper our joy in this life, yeah. and it's a, a a loss of reward that we'll experience with him in eternity. Right. It's not a loss of eternity with him, right? But you know, Paul says, "I strive and press on that I may make it my own." Yeah, and that's that's hard language, like yeah. striving language. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to go to the gym this afternoon, but I'm going to. Oh yeah, because you are. as I've seen my muscles ripple. <laughs> Um, just over the past few months going to the gym, I'm just like, well, why would I give that up? And so I'm yeah. going to go sweat. And, and then I'm going to say, hey, honey, give me yeah. a kiss. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. great. So last question for you before we close, because yeah. um, I feel like we got to bring this in, especially after my my muscles. Um, <laughs> no. So as parents, how would you encourage us? Because your philosophy of student ministries is not does not stop with you and the staff and the no. students. What you want is you have a parent equipping burden, mm-hmm. and you're championing parents as the primary disciplers and mm-hmm. pastors, so to speak, mm-hmm. of their children. 
which is going to be at a bare minimum, spurring them on to daily family worship, which mm-hmm. is, the, I, I, I would argue, the number one way that parents can be putting Christ before their children day by day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that at a, at a minimum, at a minimum, because the, the whole life discipleship that we're called to is so much more than that. But yeah. it's, it's at least that, yeah. coming before God. But how can we, uh, how can you encourage us as parents to take the message and burden that you've shared this morning and shepherd our, shepherd our students, our teenage students? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's f- fundamental uh, for for the parents to understand that that I'm not the primary minister of your students. You are. You as parents are the primary ministers of your students. Um, I'm just here to come alongside. You know, Wednesdays 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 are great, but in our culture, it's just kind of assumed in in the evangelical culture, I should say. Um, it's just kind of assumed that the pastor's job is to be the primary source for ministering to the kids. And that's not the case. Not here. Not at Sun Valley. Um, it's the parent's job. And we just simply come alongside and help in any way that we can. So I'm glad that you put that out there. Um, but yes, how, how, can, how can we motivate or spur our children on towards Christ-likeness? Uh, of course, family worship is... is great tool that should be used. Um, Which is just simply read the Bible, pray together, and sing yep. to God uh, 10 minutes a day. Yep. It, very simple. Yeah. Very simple. doesn't have to be complex. You don't got to be a theologian. Yep, yep. <laughs> and write to us and ask. There are some great resources to help with that. Yep. And ex- if you don't know anything about the Bible, but you still want to put the Bible before your, your family, yep. we've got great stuff. Ours is, I mean, because our kids are young, it's, it's pretty simple. It's, we literally read a chapter, we sing one song, and we pray. Yeah. And if you're, and if you want to go through a chapter of the Bible a day with your family, but you don't know what to draw out of it, look up the Family Worship Bible Guide from Reformation Heritage Books. Doesn't get any more handy than that. Yeah. But okay, so, so yeah. there's family worship. Family worship. Um, other, other ways is, I, I think finding ways to minister to your kids, um, so uh, taking your kids on dates, as weird as that may sound, um, you know, as a, as a father to like a 15 year old uh-huh. boy, like that would, that, I'm going to take my son out on a date. That's, that's sounds strange. Yeah, you probably shouldn't say it to him like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> he would, he would think it's weird. It's but, band time. But, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, taking, taking your son out to do an activity or whatever that he would enjoy and using that time to be specific and, and really engaging with them in their hearts and, and where they're at spiritually is, is a great tool. Um, taking your daughters, you know, if you're a mom, take, take your daughters out to coffee and, and just sit down and, and hear where they're at, hear how the culture is impacting them. What, what's the culture saying to you? Mm. Um, and that's another thing that, that we don't really understand. I think all that well is, is how to navigate the culture with our kids. Um, it's because we weren't taught that a lot of times. Right. Right. Cause for a whole generation from the fifties to about the two thousands, um, there was a dominant message in American Christianity. Mm-hmm. If you just send your kid, if you just bring your kid to church on Sundays and maybe send them to youth group, things will be fine. Right. And, and a generation or two believed it. And mm-hmm. we're seeing the rancid fruit of that. Right. And when you ask why are 80% plus of Christian children leaving the church? Well, it's because that's not what the Bible says. Right. It's what really bad advice from ministers right. was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have to re We have to be educated as adults on how to see all of Christ for all of life, as it's yeah. been put. That is el primo. And these kids, these kids are facing some serious things that the culture is throwing their way that their parents never did. Yeah, that yeah, that you and I have never in experienced. the history of human history. Right. This is new stuff. Yeah. We've invented new ways to do evil. Yeah. Same ancient evil. New, new ways. manifestations. Yeah. So, so navigating the culture with your kids, um, you know, there's great resources out there that, that talk about how, how the culture is impacting, um, you know, our students. Um, there's a couple books, uh, there's a one that I read, read last week or last year, uh, by Gene Veith, I think. Yeah, that's right. Post-Christian, I think Post-Christian. It's uh-huh. That was a wonderful book, wonderful book. And it gets, it gets, there's some deep hard things to read in that book. Um, and I'm not talking like on a theological standpoint, I'm just talking like what the culture is throwing at our, our kids. Um, that that's devastating. 
Um, but but books like that are, are helpful in help how you help navigate your your kids through through the culture that they're experiencing nowadays. Um, so yeah, engaging your kids in, in finding ways in, in how to engage your kids. And then I would say I would I would strongly encourage parents to see if their kids are actually doing these things. Are they are they actually reading their scriptures? Are they actually spending time in prayer? And and in in finding ways to to help encourage them to do those things if they're not. Um again, because I think that can just be an assumed thing. Well, my my kid got baptized. Sure. You know, he, he he made a profe- for a statement of profe- statement of faith, a profession of faith in front of the church, got baptized. And you know, I think we just kind of assume that, you know, maybe these maybe they're just doing these things on their own. Um, and nobody's teaching them. Yeah. Right? Because we assume that they know it because they're in church. Yeah. But I realized this about a year and a half ago. I, I'm like, so many adults don't know how to, to worship the Lord privately. Mm-hmm. Um, why on earth would we think our children do? And who's written something to teach them how? Yeah. There are some things that are coming out. Yeah. Um, hopefully more. Yeah. But oh, it's so vital. Like yeah. in, our, in our home, so my kids, they wake up somewhat early and they used to just run down the stairs when they would get up but we they don't until eight anymore because they know in this house everything before 8 a.m belongs to jesus Hmm. so don't come down mom and dad are busy and uh, with someone who's really really important Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and it's just kind of the expectation, not a legalistic thing. And some, some days the kids don't, but it right. becomes a habit. It's called habits of grace, right? That's yeah. why they're called habits of grace, yeah. because it just becomes a part of your life. You don't have to think about whether or not you feel like drinking water or eating. It's just what you do because you need it to survive. Right. And then, you know, you end up enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a... You know, I was thinking about when you were talking about the culture, navigating through the culture. I think one fallacy that so many Christian parents make, just because it's normal, and why would it, why would we think otherwise when it's so normal, is it's like, okay, do we need our kids to be engaging, engaged in the culture to the extent to where they are being shaped by it to the degree they are? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to think about the decisions we're making as a family, what we do with our children, um, in all, all, all areas. And I'm not talking about going back to the, the classic homeschooler in a denim jean dress who doesn't know that, what a movie is. Sure. And she's 18. I'm not talking about right. that kind of hyper-sheltering. But our, God has entrusted our children to us, not so that we can send them out into the mission field while we are going about our work at all. They're not, like, they need to first to be converted and then they need to be discipled so mm. that they will be ready to launch as effective ministers for Christ in this world. But sending them out without training is madness. And so I, I would say don't throw your kids into shark-infested waters and then stand on the boat looking over the side and, and teach them as they're swimming with sharks how not to get bit. Don't, how about don't throw them into shark-infested waters? So be thoughtful about what that's going to look like mm-hmm. because your children are a, a trust and they're vulnerable. And there's a reason why Jesus says, if anyone who causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck. And he was talking about leading another Christian into sin, but he used children for a reason hmm. in making the point. Yeah. So we can, we can cause our children to stumble in ways that we just simply haven't prepared them to navigate. Hmm. And, it, and it may not be an inherently a sin issue, initially but we still bear responsibility Mm. so i think those are the kind of categories we need to start thinking in Mm. and i appreciate your encouragement with those things and do you have any other final thoughts for us before we wrap it up no no i think i mean obviously this is a this is a burden on my my heart just because i'm i'm dealing with churched kids you know what i mean it's a blessed and unique challenge. It's a blessed and unique challenge. Um, so, I, I guess more or less, I wouldn't don't assume things on your children. Is is what I would say. Don't don't just assume that your kids are saved. And I don't think our parents do. I don't think they do that. Um, but some might. But some might. 
So don't don't just assume that your kids are saved because they go to youth group or because they're at church on Sunday or, or that that's discipleship or that that's discipleship. Or, or, at least that's where it ends because yeah. it is discipleship. Right. But that's not what most of their discipleship should be. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm obviously Rick. I'm super grateful for for this ministry. I love these kids. I love ministering to them, and it's exciting to see them grow. You know, it's it's fun watching some of these these students who have graduated and, and gone on and are doing other things and uh, just seeing their love for Christ grow. Um, so it that is the benefit, that is the blessing of, of ministering with, with, you know, high school, junior high kids is you get to see their growth uh, throughout throughout the years. So it is a blessing, but also, you know, this is my burden. So yeah, thank you so much for being willing to to talk with me about that. I knew it would be an edifying conversation. Yeah. This was totally unscripted. Yeah. It was just like, we need to talk. Let's just press record and talk yeah. about these things as pastors. Um, I, I did a student retreat. Um, this is by way of closing. Uh, a retreat with some student, some students who had kind of become functional leaders within student ministries several years back. We went down to my parents' house in Sun River um, before they moved to another state in the book. It was way out in the wilderness. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was great. It was a great retreat. But we, I had them read a book before they could go on the retreat. The retreat cost, I believe, was covered if they would read the book. They had to read two books. One was the biography of William Wilberforce. Um, another was called, and I saw you with this book in your hands yesterday, mm-hmm. Growing Up Christian mm-hmm. by Carl Rat Graben something. Something like that. Uh, I've actually got a copy on the bookshelf in the lobby. And it's four teenagers who have grown up Christian. And it's basically a, a fantastic book cautioning them the way that you did just now yeah. on what are pitfalls, how do you mature in the Christian faith, and how do you walk with Jesus, not on your parents' shoulders, but as your own. And for each of us who've grown up in a Christian home, there there has to be that time when our child's faith, which is genuine, if we are in Christ, it's a genuine faith, saving mm-hmm. faith, becomes what I refer to as an adult faith, yeah. where there's an ownership of, of an understanding that this is me in Christ, not me and my parents in Christ, even though it's that, right. because we're part of the church together. Certainly. But Sun Valley Church, we love you. We hope this has been an encouraging start to um, your your spiritual reflection from scripture throughout the uh, as we head into this new year uh, we should be back next week getting back to listener questions mm-hmm. on voice of the valley so if you've got some questions um, feel free to air, uh, email jeremy.pynch at sunvalleychurch.org until sunday we hope you love god with your whole heart soul mind and strength and we will see you for corporate worship yeah.